Welcome in, Avs fans, to another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to Avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. I am your host, of course, JJ Jerez with me, as always, Arif Dean. Arif, I wonder if we have, do you have a streak counted? How many podcasts it's been you and I together without any interruption? It's got to be since the last, what, Chris Johnson podcast was probably the last time we, it, was, it wasn't just me and you? Yep, and that was two days before the New Year's. That's how we closed out 2020, so we're riding into month four, and we'll see how much longer this goes. That's a pretty good streak. I like it. I like it. But, of course, all streaks come to an end, so eventually that's going to get snapped. Ah, I was wondering much where you were going with Much like that. the Colorado Avalanche, their streak gets snapped this week by the Minnesota Wild, ending at 15 games with a point, 13-0-2 in their record throughout. Pretty solid streak. Yeah, I mean... You're not going to win them all, and uh, the Avalanche pretty much almost did win them all over the last month. I mean, if you really think about it, 13-0-2, you're looking at 28 out of possible 30 points. You, you, you're you never going to see that again. Like, that's a very—like, teams get hot, they don't get that hot, and then eventually the streaks come to an end. Sometimes they come to an end with an empty netter that says they finally beat them and they got a two-goal lead, and sometimes they come to an end— by losing 8-3, to three, and that's what happened yesterday. And those 15 games were done basically every other day, so that's how the Avs handled that every-other-day schedule that we were kind of fearing heading into March. Yeah, the, the every-other-day started about a week and a half before the streak started because of those games where they had— uh, remember that game where they outshot Arizona like 45-12 to 12 or something and lost 3-2? That was part of the streak. So was the 6-2 to two San Jose loss, March 1st. So— I remember March 1st when they started playing every other day. I was kind of worried, like, what's going to happen with the Avalanche over the next month and a half? They're going to lose a lot of guys. They're going to get injured. And they've lost some guys here and there, Nachushkin and Donskoy and Calvert and Timmins and, and guys like that, But or and obviously Bowen Byram. But, man, they, they held up pretty well in terms of injuries, in terms of knock on wood, their goalie situation, and just pretty much winning every other night. Right. I mean, a lot's changed since that March 1st, I would say. So about, yeah. you know, just over a month ago. So especially in the tone of our podcast, right? I would say that's right about where we were kind of starting to really get frustrated with the team. And, you know, now we couldn't be feeling better about things at the top of the NHL standing. So we know that they're comfortable with the every other day schedule, apparently. We've heard it from Grubauer. And they Grubauer. like it. Yeah, yeah I was, was going to say, Grubauer says it every day. Yeah, we, so they, they love the routine. However... I wonder if there's something to be said for boredom here. I mean, I I know that the uh, Minnesota Wild is a pretty good team, but you look last night at that loss, eight to three, and you. I don't want to say that they weren't trying because you know it's the NHL. You have to yeah. try, but it just seems like they're uh, maybe losing interest. I mean, we heard from Nathan McKinnon about how he's getting tired of the schedule. You know, they were on a really solid win streak and, you know, scoring a lot of goals. That was one of our complaints early on the season that they weren't scoring. Now, you know, they're they're getting up there in the three-plus per game. Um, so, uh, you know, I wanted to kind of run that past you. Is there any chance that this team was maybe just getting bored of winning for a second? I don't know if it's getting bored of winning as much as it is just coasting through the schedule at some point. Right. Yeah. You're like never you're, bored yeah, of willing, winning. You're so, gonna have, what I meant yeah. to say, were they were they just not feeling challenged anymore, I guess? To an extent, yeah, I could see that because it, it's going to eventually come to a point where it's just you're 
you're not going to put in the same effort. And uh, that sounds weird to say out loud. And it, it was a question that was asked after the first game, the 5-4 game against Minnesota, which if you remember, I kind of said, someone's going to come out and lay an egg. And in that first period, it looked like it was going to be the avalanche. And then they came out in the second and said, wait, never mind. Let's put in four goals over here. And then, you know, obviously Minnesota made that late comeback, but it was five to four. They won. It was, it was a handle. Like they, they had, they had the game in the bag. They never once felt nervous about losing the game. But Kate Shefty at the Gazette asked a question post game that day and said to Bedner, you know, it's, it's been a while since we've had one of those days, days where you or the players come out and say, you know, it just wasn't our night. Like, eventually does it get to a point where you realize you're just that good or she worded it something like that and jared just said you know it's it's you know just getting into a consistent pace and getting into a rhythm which is what the every other day schedule is doing but yesterday the day after the game after she asked that is the game where the avalanche are able to say that it just wasn't our night the power the penalty kill wasn't kicking wasn't clicking the power play wasn't clicking and grubauer obviously laid an egg seven goals on 18 shots it's not something you're going to see all the time yeah, I think going into this series, that was my biggest uh, gripe with the Minnesota Wild, right? I, I think I said that, you know, their power play isn't very good. I know they're a good team, but because of their power play not being good, that I kind of counted them out as a playoff team. Well, they got their power play going a little bit. Now, is that a product of the Avalanche penalty kill being weak or the Minnesota Wild finally clicking on the power play? You know, that's that's a, a long debate that would take an entire podcast to get into, but... Um, you know, you, there's just times when uh, things are going to click for other teams, right? Even though if it's a bad power play, it's eventually going to come through. Now, of course, in that 8-3 to three game, you saw six power plays goals in total from both teams. So it just seemed like one of those nights. But, you know, stinkers are going to happen. You're going to lay one. And, you know, I'll, I'll even poke, look right at the uh, last podcast that we did on Sunday. You know, I was off of a round of golf and a couple uh, adult beverages. <laughs> and I would say I laid a stinker on that one after going back and listening to it. So, um, you know, every once in a while, a, a bad game's going to happen. And it just felt like one of those nights that the Avalanche weren't really um, all too invested, I would yeah, say. They didn't, I mean, they didn't seem engaged is the word that exactly. I use. Yeah. Engaged is right. And, I mean, it's it's kind of getting to the point where they're doing this almost every game. Not not to that extent of losing 8 to 3, but you even look at the 5-4 win, like you said, it took them until the second period to really get going. I mean, it was a good second period. They had four goals in that second period, but um, you know, they they were down one nothing. They weren't really awake until that second period started. Yeah, and and this kind of brings me to something that I failed to mention on the last podcast is that during the Avalanche's winning streak or should I say their their uh, point streak, the 13-0-2 run, McKinnon, Landeskog, and Rantanen weren't even averaging 20 minutes of ice time each. They were all in the 19 range, which if you've been watching this Avalanche team since the 2018 year when McKinnon broke out, there there's never been a 15-game stretch where McKinnon has not played and Rantanen and Landeskog have not played at least 20 minutes. And furthermore, to have them not play 20 minutes and put up 13 and up a 13-0-2 run is just not something you're going to see all the time. So it just kind of feels like the Avalanche are at that point where they're just coasting, rolling all four, all four lines, just waiting for the playoffs to start, bringing in guys like Liam O'Brien and, and uh, Kyle Burrows and just trying whoever they have and just giving everybody a chance. You know, Dan Renouf got some games, Greg Pattering got some games, just waiting for the playoffs to start. So you're going to have games like that. You're going to have periods of being disinterested, which is kind of that first period against Minnesota. The first game on Monday kind of felt like that. But you know what, man? The way that I see it, you know, the Avalanche may or may not sweep the Ducks this weekend. Uh, 
and by this weekend, I mean tomorrow, Friday, and Sunday in, the, in their uh, two-game series. But if they do, let's say the Avalanche sweep the worst team in the division and they are the best team in the division, they're going to have 60 points at the 41-game mark. So multiply that by two. They're on a 120-point pace over 80, 82 games. That's a good team. <laughs> so having a stinker against Minnesota, which ends the season series at 5-2-1, and one, I'm not going to sit here and complain about it. And it's kind of the thing that, you know, we asked Jared Bednar yesterday. It's one of those things where it's you forget about this game. You learn from this game and you forget about it and you move on. Minnesota came into Denver a couple of weeks ago. They lost 11 to 1 over two games. You better believe they forgot about that and they moved on and they continued their hot run. I expect nothing less from the Avalanche as they coast their way to the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, it's funny to me how interested in learning Jared Bednar always is, right? I mean, you look at every time the Avalanche were getting scored on in that last game, and they the camera would pan to Jared Bednar. And he's looking down. His head is straight down. Yeah, I noticed that. I noticed that too. Even in the 8-3 finish, he's still looking like, all right, what went wrong? Who did what there? So, you know, you just love the uh, – forget the score. Let's learn mentality. Yeah, and the funny thing that you – it's funny that you mentioned that because the first three times he did it – Yesterday, I was looking down kind of like, hey, I wonder if he's trying to see if that play was offside so he can challenge. And then by the fourth goal, I'm like, no, he's just analyzing every single goal. But I think Bednar's kind of instilled that amongst everyone. Do you remember when McKinnon set up Rantanen for the power play goal? Yes. Uh, Rantanen scored that power play goal. They cut to the bench, and McKinnon was sitting yeah, with Landis all, all around Rantanen. the iPad. McC- yes, they're all around the iPad, and McKinnon's sitting there with his finger kind of pointing things back and forth like a coach does on a play that they scored on. So they're kind of in this constant mode of like, this game doesn't really matter. Minnesota may or may not catch us in the standings. Probably not, and even if they do, whoop de doo we're better than them. Uh, we're fine. We're on a 13-0-2 run. We're, you know, they had made the score 4-3 to at that point, but they're still studying everything. On a play where they scored, they're studying to say, hey, here's what we did right, and here's what we could have done to score a little bit quicker is probably how the conversation was going. So I think Bednar's kind of instilled that amongst the team, and, and they've, they've had that kind of learning mentality all season. It just took a, you know, a, a closed-door meeting like you and Ryan Bolding were talking about on the hockey show for them to, to get their act together Coincidentally, we were just talking about March 1st, the game against San Jose. That was the game where they had the closed-door meeting. And and it looks like that's all they needed to really get into this rhythm and this mode of just learning and, and, and using everything from one game to the next and just constantly learning as you go. Yeah, and I think they ha- have been responding pretty well to adversity. While they didn't win that second game, they fought back, right? I mean, yeah. they got down 3-0 early and then uh, fought back all the way to 4-3 right about halfway at the halfway point of the game, and then Minnesota kind of blew the tires off the whole thing. But, um, you know, you like the perseverance. Even in game one, they, it was only a one nothing um, deficit that they were at at, this point, at that point, but they came back and, you know, fought through the second period. You'd like to see it replicated in the third period a little bit but you like the just the simple fact that they have that tenacity in them to fight back and they're not laying down even if they are down three nothing yeah and and you know like you said we saw it in the first game when they came out in the second period we've been seeing it all season and and uh it goes to show that this team kind of has a has an on and off switch and they decide you know what we're going to turn it on and we're going to play and even when they are facing that kind of an adversity i mean they're always going to be willing to fight back. And that's what you want from a team that's, you know, expected to make a run for the cup, especially considering 
you know, Minnesota might give you some competition in this division. Vegas might give you some competition, but you haven't even seen the Tampas and the Torontos and the Carolinas and apparently Florida's a good team, the Islanders, and they made a big trade. So you're going to need that fight in you because you're going to start to see teams that you've not seen. And, and, you know, as much as we're talking about learning as you go per game, you haven't seen these teams in almost two years. Well, while we're on the topic of fighting, you just mentioned fighting. I guess we can get into uh, the couple of guys that have been filling in and out of the lineup. Like you mentioned, you brought up the O'Briens, the Burroughs, um, even McDonald, who we just heard uh, about an hour or two ago that he'll be suspended for two games. So how have you liked the way those guys slotted in? I mean, O'Brien continues to get booted from games, so I think that's a little bit frustrating for Mavs fans. But you, you like to see what you saw from Burroughs. He's been doing great, I think, in, in the couple games that we saw him. And uh, McDonald, tough to see him go and get suspended for a couple games because you also like what you've seen from him. Yeah, and that was kind of a, you know, I, I was watching the replay a little bit earlier today. I don't, I don't remember it being that high of a hit when it happened. I guess it sort of crossed my mind uh, until the tweet came out today from NHL player safety that he was going to have a hearing. And right away I went back and looked at it and I'm like, okay, yeah, he's, he's going to get a game or two. Um, in regards to Kyle Burroughs, I'm impressed by his game in the and I think what the Avalanche are doing is is they're trying to see what their depth defenseman can bring to the table before, you know, going out at the deadline and trading a sixth round draft pick for a depth guy like John Merrill, like I said a couple of weeks ago. Uh and Burroughs Burroughs was impressive. He's twenty five years old. He's not young. He's not the biggest guy in the world, and he still fought, held his own, beat the ever living daylights out of uh who was it, Bukestad, who's six foot six. So he did pretty well for himself. And it's actually funny that we mention him after mentioning the Islanders trade because he was traded for A.J. Greer in the summer. And A.J. Greer is that fireball that we talk about that used to always come in and fight everybody, especially against Minnesota. I remember the one time he went against Devin Dubnik and just kind of jumped him. That was fun. Um, but A.J. Greer was traded by the Islanders yesterday in that big deal. And uh, Kyle Burrows is playing on a team that's you know, making a run for the cup, playing a couple games, getting into a fight, recording his first assist. And he's not the biggest guy. Like I said, he's 6'0", he's 185. And he's come in like Dan Renuff, like Jacob McDonald, and just sort of played his game and just been instilled into the system where, you know, it's it's all systems go and you're either going to keep up or you're not. And, you know, basically you're either going to keep up like everybody has or you're not like Greg Pattern. <laughs> Uh, not not to single him out, but that's the only guy that I've noticed that hasn't been able to keep up with the system Bedner's, Bedner's had. All this talk about scrappy guys, you wanted to take a shot at, at somebody, huh? It's got you fired up. Yeah. And that's that's not the guy to take a shot at if you've seen what he looks like. It's <laughs> Yeah, he'll bruise you up for sure. But, you know, Kyle Burrows, I love to see. The, he got a few really good licks in, in on Bukestad, right? And it was just that uppercut. It's, oh, it's, man. It was out of nowhere, it felt like. It yeah. just like he he, took, he flipped a switch, and he's just like, it's flight or fight, and I'm going to fight here. And he just pump, 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 just swinging. It was him. it was very reminiscent to the Joe Sackick, Doug Gilmore thing, where it's like you don't expect it. It came out of nowhere, and then the guy on your team just puts like seven rights in a row on, on the opposition. Four of like, them on the helmet. Four of them on the helmet, and then he, but he got that uppercut yeah, that at the upper end where he just went under his under his face and under the visor. Oof. A nice little adjustment. How about the number yeah. eighty-eight choice though? It's weird to see that from a defenseman. I'd say. Yeah, I mean it's it's a training camp number. It's and I'm a twenty-five-year-old journeyman defenseman, and uh, I'm gonna get this big number. It it kind of gave me uh, memories of Peter Mueller and his his days with the Avalanche, but and then yeah, it's it's 
it's not something you see from a D-man. Yeah, and then lastly, uh, of the of that string of thoughts that you put together, the A.J. Greer point, um, that was kind of my thought too when he got traded over there to New Jersey, just um, you know, kind of tough tough going for him that he's just recently joined that new team and they're already disposing of him. I mean, obviously I think New Jersey might see some value in, in taking him in, in the second half of the trade, but I think the Islanders giving giving him away I think is, is pretty telling. I mean, the beginning of the 1920 season. So in 1819, he got a bunch of games in with the Avs, and they were still giving him a shot and trying to, you know, string him along. And then right before the 1920 season started, he had that whole summer issue with Sonny Milano, if you remember. And I feel like after that, the Avalanche just kind of said, we're done. And uh, they got rid of him. And now he's playing for Lou Lamorello and, and... if you're going to be any kind of a head case when you're playing for Lou, he's going to get rid of you. And I'm not saying that he still, you know, has some kind of immaturities or anything like that going on, but this is just a guy that couldn't grasp the opportunity he was given. He was entertaining to watch in the few games that he did play with the Avs. And again, especially that game against Dubnik, it was, it was Milan Hayduk's retirement night when him and Dubnik kind of went at each other in that 7-3 game. But yeah, I mean, he was a throw-in to that trade yesterday. He was a body that went back because two bodies were coming to the Islanders and 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 Kyle Burroughs is in Denver making the most of his opportunity. And it was gleamingly obvious to everybody the problems in A.J. Greer's game, right? It was the bonehead plays. He'd keep ending himself yeah. up in the penalty box, and he obviously made some bonehead plays. The hothead plays. Yeah, some, some bonehead plays off the rink as well. So I think the player you saw on the ice was the player you got off the ice. So, you know, for that reason, the halves were out, right? Yeah. But, yeah, moving back to the avalanche, you know, I think that's a – if, for being such a high-scoring series, what is it, 9 and 11, is that 18 goals right there um, in the two games? Is that good, Matt? 20. 20, come on. 9 plus nine, 11. Nine plus 11. God damn, that was bad. <laughs> um, well, yeah, 20 goals in two games. It, it felt like a bit, I, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? Just missing. It was a dud. It was boring. It was a bit, yeah, just anticlimactic, I guess, might be the word I'm looking for. I don't know. But, yeah, for having so many goals, it, it felt a little bit boring for so. two teams for two teams that were riding high it just felt like they both just wanted to move on to the next games and and they're just you know prepping for the playoffs it's kind of a weird it's been a weird run and and you know outside of yesterday's game i kind of i saw this stat that altitude tv had up where leading up to yesterday's game the avalanche were 13-0-2 in their past 15 minnesota was 10-4-1 but in that 10-4-1 were three losses in regulation to the Avs, being the first game, the 5-4 game, and then the two games that combined for 11-1. So while the Avalanche were 13-0-2 in their last 15, Minnesota was 10-4-1, and if you take out their games against the Avs, they were 10-1-1 against the rest of the division. So these were the two hottest teams in the division going at each other, and it felt like boring hockey. It felt like two teams kind of you know playing for a tie where it's 1-1 at the end of regulation. You're like, let's just get this to overtime. They're just both like, hey, let's just get this to the playoffs. We don't really need to beat each other up. I know there were some fights and there were some big hits, but we don't really need to waste our energy and play our guys 30, 35 minutes a night. Let's just get to the playoffs and let's see each other then. No harm, no foul, except for the uppercut that Burroughs fed. I think the uh, after the last series against Minnesota, a lot of Avs fans and maybe even the Avs themselves kind of wrote off the Wild as a bad team. But you look at that stat you just brought up. I mean, that's a you're you're right. That was a really hot team and a really good a really good Wild squad that I think maybe they yeah. just laid a stinker um, when they were here in Colorado for two games. I mean, as we know, sometimes you lay stinkers. They were yeah they were 
they were riding high entering that two-game series against the Avs in Denver. They played the two games. They scored one goal. They got shellacked, and then they left and continued to ride high. They swept Vegas in Vegas. They just kept going. It was as if they blinked twice in Denver, and they came out, and they're like, all right, let's just get back to doing what we were doing. And that's what I was saying in the beginning. That's kind of what I'm expecting the Avalanche to do coming out of this series. They're likely going to play Jonas Johansson for probably his last start before the Avalanche go out and get a goalie by Monday. Uh, in one of these games against Anaheim, Grubauer will get the other one. I, I suspect they can sweep these games unless Johansson lays an egg. Um, and then it's business as usual. How weird was it to see Grubauer get pulled for Johansson? I never would, thought we would have seen that. Grubauer got pulled for Johansson, and then I tweeted this yesterday, and it's uh, it's a really interesting statistic. Johansson faced one shot yesterday, and it was a goal, right? Yeah. <laughs> so in each of his first three games with the Avalanche, he let in a goal on the first shot he faced. I don't know if that's ever happened. I don't even know how to begin to look up if that's ever happened, but it doesn't look good. I know the the story of the game is not Johansson. It's not how he played. We've been pumping his tires. He played pretty well in the first game. He came out and won the second game. But that is a statistic you don't want your name attached to. It's a, He could have won all three games 5-1, to one, but he let in a goal on the first shot he faced in all three games. You're a goalie. I'm not. That says to me he's not ready when the puck drops, when the whistle blows, when the game starts. And and that's kind of a weird stat to have attached to your name. I know at the beginning of the season there were some rules towards pregame, right? You couldn't come to the rink as early as you used to be able to. Is that still in effect? I believe they were. they amended that shortly after they made the rule change because a lot of players were like, no, 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 no. And hey, maybe that's the reason why. But I mean, we're talking about a goalie that has two career wins. Well, then, yeah, I have no other theories. And, you know, he might just have to figure out how to start the game a little earlier and maybe just feel a little bit more pucks and warm ups and even ask a guy to take a clapper super hard at him from the blue line. I mean, that was always my thing. Just take a super hard slap shot. Let me see it all the way through. And then I'm feeling the puck because that first that first shot sets the precedence. Right. I mean, obviously, it's big for your team, but it, it's even bigger for a goalie's psyche. So he's not exactly in a position to be fragile psychologically. Yeah. And I mean, the theory that I have is just maybe he's not that good. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I mean, every. Yeah, it's it's just a reality. I mean, every every insider every national media personality you me anybody in denver we've all kind of been looking at this and saying i mean it's a good story it's good to have him but what have we been saying since the start he doesn't replace frankie he replaces what michael hutchinson was last year and anton bebo before he got hurt and i can't you know i can't express enough how much i feel like joe sakic is gonna bring in a goalie and I don't think it's going to be somebody like Anton Forsberg. I don't think it's going to be somebody like Calvin Pickard. I truly think it's going to be someone of the ilk of Jonathan Bernier, Dave Riddick, Linus Olmark, uh, James Reimer. It's going to be somebody who can be a reasonable 1B option. And to a lesser extent, maybe, but doubtful, Ryan Miller. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Ryan, I, I I know you have to sit on that one for a little bit because all we've done all season is talk about the corpse of Ryan Miller, and could you imagine the corpse of Ryan Miller 
backstopping the Avalanche in Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final because Grubauer stubbed his toe or something. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely not something you want to see. You want to go with somebody who would provide you a little bit more confidence. I, I Which mean, is all those other names. Yeah, you can't I argue mean, with what he's done against the Avalanche, yeah. but he hasn't exactly done that across no, the league. I, but, that, but that's the point that I'm trying to make, is the Avalanche aren't going to go out and just get a guy like Anton Forsberg or, or, or Calvin Pickard. It's going to be someone who can be a good 1B option. Somebody who you can reasonably look at and say, if he was to play every single playoff game, we are comfortable with that. And I'm comfortable saying that about Bernier. I'm comfortable saying that about James Reimer, Linus Olmark. These guys are guys that you know could do the job. You can't say that about Ryan Miller. You can't say that about Anton Forsberg. You certainly sure as hell cannot say it about Jonas Johansson. So Sackick's going to do something. He's got to because one Philip Grubauer injury is all it takes for this season, this team, this this uh, you know pace of 120 points over 82 games. To all go down the drain and, and you just can't have that when you have this kind of an opportunity to win the cup it feels like there should be a bigger pool of goaltenders to choose from because there's one thing this season has provided it's kind of an inflation in some stats and a, a deflation you know a separation of of the great teams and the bad teams in the league so you got to think a good majority of the teams know that they're out of it by now right so they can be sellers when it comes to their goaltenders so hopefully there's a great pool to choose from for joe and he, and he picks the right one because it's a huge decision like you're saying that who, who knows what could happen but you have to play the safety card here because you got a great team and you don't want to spoil it by a boo-boo goalie a yeah but i mean i mean the thing is the guys that i just listed is actually a pretty legit you know set of goalies that are yep. pending ufas I mean, let's let's not pretend that those aren't big names. This isn't, you know, picking between Nemesnikov and, and Derek Brassard to play on your third line. These are legit goalie names. And you're you're absolutely right. So when you look at the standings in the the mass mutual East Division, I love the names. And you look if you look at the East Division, the top four are basically set. It's New York Islanders, Washington, Pittsburgh, and Boston. Boston is six points up on Philly and has two games in hand. And then the Rangers are below them, the Devils and the Sabres. Like that division is pretty much set. In the East Division, or sorry, in the Canadian Division in the North, Toronto, Edmonton, Winnipeg, and Montreal are miles ahead of Vancouver, Calgary, and Ottawa. In the Discover, the Central, it's Carolina, Tampa, Florida, and then Chicago, Dallas, and Nashville are duking it out for the last spot. And in the Honda West, it's Colorado, Vegas, Minnesota, and then Arizona, St. Louis, and, and San Jose are duking it out. So what that says to me is there's two playoff races for a fourth place. And then some, you know, uh, first and second place races, first, second, third between Colorado, Vegas, and Minnesota. Fact of the matter is, you know, most of the playoff teams are picked. 14 of the teams that I just listed out of the 16 that are going to make the playoffs are probably going to make the playoffs. The 14 that are that are in a comfortable position right now, unless somebody completely shits the bed. But who is available from these teams that are out of it are are. You know, there's only some goalies. Arizona's the big one that I always get back to because Darcy Kemper and Antti Ranta could be two big names if they fall out. But Kemper is still hurt. Ranta was hurt. I think he's back now, maybe. Or maybe it's Aiden Hill still playing. But Carolina's the interesting one to me because they're in a playoff position. And they got Reimer. They got Mrazek. And they got Nadelkovic. And Mrazek just came back and won. Again, he's 3-0 and with three shutouts. So you're not going to get rid of the young kid. You're not going to get a, get rid of Mrazek. So that leaves James Reimer, who's also been good this year. And then in Buffalo, Linus Olmark's got pretty damn good numbers for playing on that team compared to Jonas Johansson's numbers. And then 
you know, Dave Riddick in Calgary is an option. Jonathan Bernier, who, by the way, Bernier returned today for the Red Wings. Um, they lost 7-1 against Nashville. I can't tell you how many of the goals Bernier let in. But those are reasonably, those are good names. You don't often see this many good goalies and, and respectable goalie names available at the deadline. Usually it's one name and you either strike out or you hit. Kind of like if you remember 15 years ago when Edmonton traded for Dwayne Rollison. They're usually one big name of goalies at the deadline. And this, I mean, the Avalanche needed a goalie last year and all they could get is Hutchinson. Carolina scares me. I think my favorite is James Reimer. However, Carolina, because they are so good, I think that puts them in the driver's seat and can maybe raise the price that they're asking for for Reimer because it's not a desperation move. They're not trying to save their season. They're really just... Dealing Reimer because of a plethora of goaltending. It's a luxury, right? So they, I think they can demand a high return. There is something to also that I, I heard, you know, I, I often hear Elliot Friedman say this and Jeff Merrick say this on their podcast. And it's something that we have to remember is these owners are still bleeding a lot of money. So when you look at somebody like James Reimer, who's making $3.4 million over the entire season, to trade him with 15 games left in the season puts hundreds and thousands of dollars back in the owner's pocket. For a goalie, you're probably not going to need to use anymore because you have Mrazek and Nedeljkovic. So as much as the drive, it, they are in the driver's seat for it, this is still somebody, and it's kind of, you know, look at the avalanche. Look at someone like Greg Patteron. You better believe that the Cronkies are looking at Joe Sackick and saying, whatever you do, try your hardest to connect this guy to any trade because you're not going to use him. You don't need him. He's making two point something million dollars. Let's get him off of our books and save a few hundred thousand dollars. So that's something that you always need to put into perspective. It's the same thing with Dave Riddick in Calgary. It's trying to save as much money as possible. And then the teams that are trading for these players, making sure that you're trying to connect some kind of a contract going back the other way to, to even out the dollars as much as possible. And along with the uh, you know season kind of separating in terms of the standings. I think you're, this is also the time of the year where you start to see a lot more predictability when it comes to your games and more importantly, when it comes to your bets, right? So right now is that time of year where not too many surprises are going on and you can really be on top of the of the picks. And I don't know if you noticed, Arif, but tonight there were 10 games in the NHL, nine of which hit the puck line, the minus one and a half. A lot of spread games. Only one that ended up in OT. That was the Islanders and uh, the Flyers. So all the rest hit the spread. Can you can you believe that? Well, I'll do I'll do I'll do you one better. One, two, three, four. Four of those nine hit the minus two and a half. Oh, that's a, that's a scary <laughs> so one. So these are these are not close games today. These are not close games today. And if you took the Nashville Predators at minus six and a half over the red or minus five and a half over the Red Wings, you probably would have hit and you know made a ton of money. <laughs> That's a, a ballsy one, but a smart ballsy one. I don't know. I, don't, I wonder if yeah. one day I'll take something like that, but I don't see myself doing it. I'm I'm kind of a, a scaredy cat when it comes to the bets. But, of course, you got to go check out DraftKings. Basketball teams are entering the final month of the regular season as they gear up for the playoffs. While some teams are locks to make the playoffs, others are still fighting for their opportunity to chase the trophy this summer. Sounds familiar. kind of sounds like what we were just talking about. Yep. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting you in the center of the action with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in free bets. They have this promo back. What a great 
freaking promo. Turn $1 into $100 is simple. Pick any basketball team to win their next game, and if during that game the team of your choosing hits A3, you bring home $100 in free bets. That's an easy one. Yeah, one three-pointer. Come on. That's $100 to one odds on the team of your choosing to hit a three. They don't even need to win. This year's teams have been hitting threes at an unprecedented pace, so get in on all the action with DraftKings Sportsbook before this offer ends. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use promo code MHS when you sign up to turn $1.00 into $100 in free bets if the basketball team of your choosing hits a three. That's code MHS to turn $1 into $100 in free bets for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. And speaking of basketball, I actually... You know, I covered the Pistons and Nuggets game the other day at, at Ball Arena. Believe it or not, for somebody who's an old sports guy and watches a lot of sports and has been to a lot of sporting events, never been to an NBA game before. That was my first one. Yeah, I've been to a ton what? of Tigers games. I've been to a, I've, yeah, I've been to a ton of Tigers games in Detroit. I've been to Lions games. I watched Peyton and the Broncos back in uh, 2014, I want to say. I came out here and went to a game there. Uh, obviously been to NHL games, been a lot of college football games at Michigan Stadium, never been to an NBA game. And if there's something, there's a couple things. Number one, seeing how big these guys are in person is just ridiculous. It's it's like a bunch of Zdeno Charas walking around, you know, hitting threes. Yeah, Zdeno Chara would be a three and not, and yeah. not even a five. Exactly, yeah. And, and, and seeing how easy they make those three-pointers look is ridiculous. It's so different from the college game. The college game is entertaining and it's a it's it's high quality basketball. But then you come into this game and it was back and forth. You know, Jeremy Grant hits a three, goes back the other way, MPJ hits a three, and then hits another. It's just they make it look so easy. And Jokic makes it look so easy, hitting fadeaway threes. Like it was stupid. I mean so you you look back at that ad read right there, and even they said that the NBA players have been hitting threes at unprecedented rates yeah. this season, which I think it's I already mean, been it's a been, trend of things yeah. going up. So it's been it's been a climb for the last five or ten years. I mean, that's the way the NBA is going. The scoring's been going up. If you look at quarterbacks in the NFL, they're breaking records, the Breeze, the Brady's, the Paytons. And then you look at the NHL, and we're struggling to get 50 goal scores. That's what I was going to ask you. If yeah. if uh, home runs at an unprecedented pace in the MLB and the NHL is just like, well, we're going to make the post one fourth of an inch smaller and take away the back of the net so you can do a wraparound. We're like, can we just make the nets a foot bigger? Or I, I can easily hear somebody saying, these young kids don't know how to play the game. All they do is shoot threes. Right? That sounds like an NHL take <laughs> yeah. to me. <laughs> oh jeez! Yeah, but uh, time to move on. Speaking of stinkers, I wish I wish our sport was fun. Anyways, go stinkers on. has been <laughs> a, a theme of the podcast tonight. So, uh, like we said, the Anaheim Ducks are next. So, you don't want to look past them, and you don't want to uh, come out kind of uh, only expecting to play one period, of, as we said the Avalanche have been doing lately. So, what are you expecting? What do you think the uh, Avs are going to look like in these next two matchups in Anaheim? I think they're going to come out and they're going to win both games, and and you know. I'd expect nothing less. Again, unless, speaking of stinkers, Johansson has a stinker like Hunter Miska did against the Ducks where he let in four goals in the first before the Avs exploded and won 8-4 to four when Grubauer saved the day. So unless something like that happens, I expect two wins. 
The first game is Friday. The second game is Sunday. At the end of the game Sunday, a couple guys are going to, you know, shake hands virtually because it's not going to be person to person because of COVID. Uh, it's going to be Joe Sackick. It's going to be Murray on the other end, the GM of the Anaheim Ducks. And the Avalanche are going to take a flight and Ryan Getzloff's going to join them. And he's going to be their third line center for the playoff run. I mean, let's it's it's a great great time for them to be meeting they're going to take getzlov with them he's kind of going to be this great now you're getting the third line. i think you're the one that's uh, been drinking this this podcast may, maybe i've never had a drink in my <laughs> life but it probably sounds like i have because of this but that's kind of there's two names that stick out to me and getzlov is one of them the second one is nick felino just those old rugged physical veterans that are leaders that have a c on their jersey that can come in and be like mike keen was when he was acquired in that trade with patrick wad I know a lot of people don't like Getzloff around here, but man, I, I don't know how I got onto this topic. It's just something I've been thinking about for a few days. That'd be sweet. I mean, it reminds me more of the uh, Rob so awesome. Blake trade. That's yeah, that's more so than Mike Keene, right? Because Rob Blake was, you know, the guy in LA at the time, and then he's this big, bruising defenseman comes in, starts Sorry, wrecking that, people. Yeah, the the Mike Keene comparison for me actually it's it's not Getzloff. Sorry, I misspoke. It's Nick Felino from Columbus. Oh, oh, gotcha. It's that guy who's like a third line. He'll give you 20, 30 points over eighty two games, but he's a leader. He's a glue guy. He's a locker room guy, and people will just absolutely love him. So, but if you can't get Felino, I'd rather Getzloff. He's a center. Yeah, no, I love it. I'm down with it if somehow they can swing it. But that if sounds like a pretty make big ask as well. I think uh, you know. I know Bo Byram's been an attractive piece, and for some reason. Before Bo Byram really got to start playing, I think he was uh, not not so much about, among people who were close to the Avalanche, but maybe more so national media. They were saying that maybe he would be a good piece to kind of, you know, a carrot to dangle out there in a trade piece, yeah. but now there's zero remember, chance of that. Remember when Taylor Hall had that game at Pepsi Center at the time when he was a late scratch and it was because he was going to get traded and, you know, everybody was talking about it might be the Avalanche, it might be this, it might be that. And people were talking about, yeah, the Avalanche are going to offer Bowen Byram. And I'm just like, no. And that's when Taylor Hall was not what he is now. He was a lot better a year and a half ago. His yeah. value was higher. But Ryan Getzlav, I, I just can't foresee him costing something like that. This is kind of, if you remember, Keith Kachuk was on the Blues. He got traded to the Atlanta Thrashers at the deadline for like a first and a, a prospect. I think it was Braden Coburn or something like that. Uh, Alexei Zitnik maybe. And then... Played the playoffs with Atlanta and then went in the offseason, re-signed in St. Louis and finished his career there. And that's what I would expect Getzloff to do. But again, like this guy hasn't won the cup since his rookie or second year in the NHL in 07. It's been 14 years. Bring him in for a cup run. Let him be that third line center. <laughs> I mean, how much are would other teams hate your top three centers where it's like Nathan McKinnon kind of has screws loose, throws helmets at people. All right, let's see what they got on the second. Oh, Nazem Kadri. Everybody hates that guy. Well, I mean, maybe the third line center is a friendly Tyson Joe. Nope, it's Ryan Getzloff. So it's kind of this perfect setup. I know I'm I'm kind of speaking way in over my head. He makes eight million dollars. They'd have to retain. You might need a third team in there. The Avs have seven or eight million dollars in like LTIR cap space, so they can make it work. But I can't stop thinking about if you're putting your all chi all your chips in and you're Joe Sakic, that first round draft pick this year. Forget about it. You don't need it. Trade it. Trade some middling prospects, the Martin Couts, the Shane Bowers, one of them, not both. And you can bring in someone like Getzloff. The Ducks owe it to him. And then he'll just re-sign there in the summer. Well, if you'll allow me to bring everybody back from Arif's fantasy land. Sorry. 
I just <laughs> I know you asked me what's gonna happen against the Ducks, and that's kind of where your I went. answer they're gonna was. They're gonna come back us. with Ryan Getzlaff. They're gonna come back with Ryan Getzlaff on Monday. When I okay, I'm telling you this: when I'm covering that game Monday at Ball Arena, and I take a picture of the top of Getzlaff's bald head from the press box and send it to you and say, "I told you so," then we'll talk. <laughs> We'll see about it, but yeah, let's let's bring back to reality a little bit. I know you said uh, important for Johansson not to have a stinker himself. What do the Avs have to do to prevent not only him not having a stinker, but just losing either of these two games? Is there anything X's and O's wise that you can point out that that they got to focus on? I wouldn't say it's X's and O's as much as it is just be engaged, be engaged in the game. Uh, you know, don't overplay your top guys. Don't risk injury and play McKinnon 23, 24 minutes just to beat Anaheim four to one or something like that. But just be engaged in the full 60 minutes. Uh, because let's face it, their next three games are not going to be the toughest. You have the ducks, the ducks, and then the coyotes. Well, let's call it the next four because after the coyotes, you got the blues and apparently they're not very good. So, uh, the coyotes are going to be maybe a bigger challenge than the blues by then, but it's just a matter of being engaged, knowing that you're returning home for one game. Let's get this road trip done. Let's win a couple games against a team that you don't want to lose to for a third time this year. Yeah, I remember after the uh, end of the last time these two teams faced each other and Delorier was losing his mind at Nazem Kadri. Remember I said he picked him yeah. up by, like a bad puppy. And I remember thinking like he is so angry that I feel like he might do something stupid next time these two uh, teams meet. So do you anticipate something like that, or do you think this is an, the NHL? He's a pro. He's been pissed off millions of times. He probably doesn't even remember it by now. He probably doesn't even remember it by now, but he'll probably get pissed off for something else because it's just going to happen that way. Um, but did you see the end of the game against Minnesota where Dumba and Liam O'Brien went at each other and O'Brien's helmet came off and it kind of looked like there was this guy that was a little wacko and crazy and unhinged? <laughs> Well, now the Avalanche have one of those in the lineup too. So if Nicholas Delorier is going to come out, so is this guy. You're not going to need someone like Belmar to drop the gloves with his future teammate Ryan Getzlav. It's going to be Liam O'Brien and 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 Nicholas Delorier that you know there there is your guy that's going to offset Delorier. You got to love Liam O'Brien's time on ice to Pim's ratio right now. <laughs> <laughs> he's just he's been such a treat to watch. It's really entertaining to have him. <laughs> It's like the first Cody McLeod they've had since Cody McLeod. Yeah, except, you know, he's a – yeah, I think that's a good comparison, I guess. I was going to say he has a little more screws loose, but no, Cody McLeod – Cody was, was pretty crazy. He was he was running on very few screws. The dude fought again like four hours after getting <laughs> traded for no reason at all. Um, last thing I want to get to before we get to the three stars is uh, President's Trophy Watch. Obviously, I think that's something we need to keep an eye on out – uh, keep an eye on from here on out last week it was kind of a just a, a, a race between vegas avalanche and the tampa bay lightning well suddenly you've got carolina and toronto making an appearance at the top i know toronto has a couple games in hand however carolina does not so it's going to be a, a fun race to keep an eye on for this podcast on the way out yeah toronto toronto's uh, sorry not toronto carolina's one point up on the avalanche right now with the same amount of games so they're technically first in points percentage in the nhl after second uh, last time we were talking about this, Florida was in the race, but Carolina just swept Florida in two games and shut them out today, 3-0. True, I forgot and that, yeah. they shut out Dallas a couple days ago, and it was two different goalies. It was Nedeljkovic and Morazic, both with shutouts over the last five days. So they're a pretty damn good team. Trocek's been a great player there, obviously acquired from Florida. That's a team to keep an eye on because I think that that's a team that is the Eastern Conference version of the Avalanche where... 
they were this team that was building and building and nothing was working, even though they had all these young stars. And then they made the playoffs. They went on a bit of a run two years ago. They went on a bit of a run last year. And now they're ready to go all in on a run. And, and the Avalanche are the same way. So you never you never know. That's the team to me to keep an eye on is, is Carolina doing something big like I expect the Avalanche to at the deadline. Yeah, Carolina has to be one of the most slept-on teams in the NHL over the last couple of years, right? I mean, they've been decent. This year they're really good. And, and I still don't really hear many people talking about them. I mean, I was... I knew they were good. I follow because I bet every night, so I know they've been winning here and there, or a handful of games, but I was thrown off to see them at the top. I think the difference between the Avalanche and the Carolina Hurricanes right now is Kale McCarr and Nathan McKinnon give this team a lot of national coverage. Those are two big household names. Carolina's got great players in Sebastian Ajo, and they've got great players on defense in Slavin and, and Pessy, and now they got Nikash up front who's kind of taken off. But I'm not saying these players are not good. They're just not the same kind of a household name that's going to get – basically, they're not Canadian. <laughs> like that's what yeah. I'm trying to get at. McKinnon and McCarr are the kind of names that are going to be you know, on billboards all over the Canada and all over the country as you know two of the biggest names in hockey. You're not going to see that for the Carolina guys. That's a great point. It was all about the Canadian thing, right? I mean, you got Shvechnikov, too. Obviously yeah. not going to draw. There's such was a exactly, Taravainen. Yeah. That was exactly my thought when you first brought up McKinnon and Makar because that's what's drawing the attention is the Canadian yeah. media. I mean, uh, it, uh, yeah, exactly. So you nailed that on the head. So time to get to the Mile High Sports three stars of the week presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Star number three, you knew he would make an appearance somewhere in this list. We're going with three, and that's Kyle Burrows, both for making his debut in the NHL and getting into a fight, not to mention he got an assist as well in game two. Yeah, he's been awesome, and uh, number 88 from the blue line, and I, I like what I'm seeing from him. I like that the Avalanche are giving these guys a shot, and he's 25 years old. He's not a young buck, and, and he's making the most of his opportunity. If you were in the NHL, what number would you wear? As crazy as it sounds, 88 was always my favorite number growing up because I loved the number eight. Um, but it, it would it would probably be 93 just for my birth year. Um, but 88 was always a number I, I, I consider to be like my future hockey number. Speaking of defensemen, I think Nate Schmidt wears 88. That's the only name I could think of. But And then even when the Avalanche acquired Peter Mueller, I was like, I really love this number. So coincidentally, it was 88. Trying to think of some great 93s. I, I... Nugent Hopkins, Nugent comes Hopkins to mind. is the only one that I could think of right now. Yeah. Uh, Peter Nedved, or did he wear 94? I could be off. That's where I'm going with that. Zibanejad. Yeah. I'm, I'm testing know. my hockey skills. Let's let's move on to the next thing. <laughs> <laughs> it feel, that felt like a puck soup moment when nobody knows the answer yeah. to their game show, right? And it's just yeah, silence. Just silence. <laughs> Star number two, we're giving that to Sam Girard, reached 30 points. In only game 36, that was the 5-4 win. It took him until game 62 last year to do that. So uh, shout out to Sam Girard. I mean, we've been pumping his tires all year long. He just looks like a completely different player. One thing I heard uh, recently that I didn't realize, you know, we, we've commented on how he spent the offseason here in Denver, right? I mean, yeah. he didn't go anywhere. So in doing so, he was actually playing in one of the men's league teams that a lot of my friends are in. Yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously ripped it up there, but he said it, they said that he just had so much fun playing out there, which I wouldn't have 
expected from him, right? He's kind of more shy, reserved, and they just said he loved playing in men's league in Denver. So he uh, obviously was better than everybody, which is probably fun and nice to take it easy and still be the best. But um, Kid loves hockey. Not <laughs> what, something what I would have expected from him. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, he's on the first year of a seven-year deal that pays him $5 million each year. And uh, the Avs gave him that contract when he was putting up 20-something points after the 18-19 season. So they were betting on him to get better. And, and now you're looking at a guy who's primed for 50 to 60, maybe even you know tiptoeing around the number 70 points per season in an 82-game season for the next you know six years after this one. I think he could hit 50 this year. All he needs is 20 in the last 20 or something like that. But he's doing a pretty damn good job at it. Yeah, and then for star number one, I'm going to give it to you. Star number one, I'm going to give it to Joe Sackick. And the reason why I'm doing is because I'm going to speak into existence like I have been the last 10 minutes, all the excellent work he's going to do between now and Monday's trade deadline. Joe's going to go out. He's going to bring in a goaltender, maybe Bernier, maybe Reimer, maybe Mrazek, maybe Olmark, go back to Buffalo and get another guy from there for some reason. He's going to bring in a forward. I, I can really see the Avalanche bringing in another forward, be it Getzlav, be it Felino be it somebody like, you know, maybe Taylor Hall. I, I kind of like the idea of Kyle Palmieri, but he got traded. Regardless, I'm going to speak into existence the excellent work Joe Sackick's going to do between today and Monday, April 12th, trade deadline. He gets our first star. Don't make it a dud, Joe. You're not really first star material all the time. You're not a hockey legend <laughs> with over 600 goals or anything, so don't make this a dud. This is out of left field, but have you ever seen The Music Man, the musical? I have not. Why? Or... Or maybe the uh, Simpsons episode where they uh, team up and they're selling, I think, Aftershave. Simpsons and, yes, Simpsons yes, and yes, Son, yep, Aftershave. Yep, yep. All right, so in both of those kind of share the same plot, I guess, right? They're salesmen going town to town, just scheming people out of their money and selling <laughs> this magic. But that's who Joe Sagic reminds that's me of. That's what he's at, been doing. It's to the point where I don't know if people are going to be fooled by him anymore. I think even if they think they have a good trade, being offered to them, they're going to think twice about it. Like, okay, what are we seeing? What's Joe Sackick seeing that we're not? Yeah, and How is he hosing us? The crazy one? part, like he did it to the Islanders. He did it to Chicago. And then before that, the big one that started it all, he took like a bottle of suntan lotion. He went to Ottawa. He was like, okay, open your hands, put them into the shape of a cup. He squeezed half of it in there. And then he took half a bottle to Nashville and said, you can have the rest of this for Sam Girard. And he <laughs> brought in Bowen Byram and Sam Girard. In the same trade, he hosed two cities. It's just... That's Joe Sackick for you, and 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 that's why he's our first star coming from a guy that I just did a little bit of a fact check. For some reason, I knew that Peter Nedved wore 93. I don't know why. That's something that is— You nailed it? I nailed it. For some reason, I knew in my brain that Peter Nedved, who hasn't played hockey since before I went through puberty, <laughs> wears number 93. Some things you just remember. There's yeah. just weird little things like that here and there. Um, but yeah, I'd say that'll do it for this episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast. Special thanks to DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. So um, we'll likely be back right after the Anaheim series, right? Or is, is there any reason for us not to? No, that's a 4 o'clock game on Sunday, so we'll do a nice Sunday night recording, and we'll talk about that. We'll preview that trade deadline on Monday. And I'll try to stay off the golf course for that one. Try to stay off um, the golf course, and then we'll probably come to you guys. Hope, depending on what the Avalanche do, I'm expecting to podcast Tuesday after the Coyotes game Monday, just one game and a big trade deadline. If it's not a big trade deadline, we'll throw in the Blues game, and we'll come to you guys next Thursday after the right Sunday on. pod. Sounds like a plan to me. So 
Thanks for hanging out with us. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless your heart. Hockey is for everyone. And we out you. Thank you.